I have to make a public confession at this 1045 service, okay? My wife and I, Hannah, have been married for three years, and I have to admit that for the last three years, I've always picked where we went on date nights. I mean, I, I'm talking about when we go to the movies, I always made sure we saw something with fighting and explosions, right? No chick flicks. Like every date night, or, or we would go somewhere where, I mean, I could just like be a man and, and watch hockey or, or football or basketball. And I think my wife picked up on it because once she said, hey, can I pick where we go on a date? And some of you guys are like, oh, no, this is going to get dangerous. Because uh, I asked her, babe, where you want to go? And she said, painting with a twist. <laughs> if you're willing to turn, God's ready to move. Now, I love my wife, so I wasn't going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. So we're like, okay, I'll decide to go. Now, if you don't know what painting with a twist is, it's where you learn how to paint, and they make you think that you're really good. You're not. Uh, They teach you how to paint, and then you can bring your food and drinks. The twist for me was painting, so we didn't bring anything. I just didn't even want to be there. And so we get there, or no, Hannah goes, hey, which which session do you want to go to? You want to go to the earlier session or the later? And I said, of course I want to go to the later because I don't want to risk anyone seeing me go into this store. And so we get there, and we're greeted by, like, this really over-the-top, friendly, bubbly employee. She's like, oh, my gosh, you're going to have such a great time. And I was like, I hate you. Okay, just, and she said, sir, put on this apron. And so I put on the apron and at the same time just reach my back pocket and give her my man card. Like, it just, it was just bad. And uh, she takes us to our class and the instructor says, hey, before we start, if you will go on Facebook, tag us, you can win a prize. I said, no, ma'am. I don't want anybody knowing that I'm here. Like, I just, it was that bad. If you're willing to turn, God's ready to move. We start painting. I'm painting, and, you know, I'm trying to have a good time. And the instructor says, hey, you're doing a really good job. And I said, yeah, that's what men do, right? I just, I had to try to redeem that moment. And, uh, and she keeps going. I'm painting some more. And she goes, and she comes by again, hey, you're doing really good. You know what I heard in that moment? You're like the next Picasso. And so, like, I was like, really? I'm that good? And so I start painting it up, and the competitiveness of me starts coming out. Like, I don't know why, like, us as men, I just felt like I need to win at painting. I don't even, I don't know if that's a thing, but I was like, I need to win at painting. It got so bad. Me and my wife, we did a couple's painting that she did half, I did the other half. When you put it together, it's going to look so cute and cuddly. Uh, It got so bad that I started critiquing her painting. I was like, babe, uh uh-uh, you see what I'm working with? You're not up to par. Like, I, I just started doing that. It was, it was really, it was really bad to the point where I got her canvas, put it on mine, and I started to fix the things that she did wrong. Some of you women are like, that's my husband every day, right? Just, I started to fix, I just had the audacity to do that. I even, I'm I'm sorry to admit this, but I had the audacity to tell the instructor, hey, if you want me to leave my painting behind so you guys can sell it for a profit, I'll do that. Like I got, I thought I was going pro in painting. And so here's my confession. Here's my confession. I loved it. I love painting with a twist. I don't care who knows. Look at this. That is good. Sign me up. 
Like, I was pretty good. I, I don't care. Take my man card. I don't, like, I don't care. It was so awesome. It was a date that I'm still like, babe, let's go back to painting with a twist. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Right? All the guys are hating me right now. They're like, oh, I know what I'm doing this week. Uh, you know? And I, I loved it. I, and I realized when I was able to change my perspective, I was, I was able to encounter something really awesome, a really great Experience, And that's very similar to our relationship with God. That if we would learn how to change our perspective, that there are things that God wants us to encounter that are so great and beyond what we think is so awesome. That if we would change our perspective. See, there's, there's this uh, there's joy unspeakable that God wants you to have. There's this joy forevermore that God wants you to have if you would first change your perspective and understand that it's not about us. It's about God. It's about other people. And if we would learn how to serve and sacrifice for others and for God, then maybe we can have this joy unspeakable. That there are blessings of God. Some of us are like, man, I want this blessing from God. And God's like, well, if you would change your perspective and learn how to freely give, then yes, you can experience these blessings. Some of us, there's plans that God has for you. We love quoting that scripture, right? But there's plans that God has for us. Yes, I think there's greater plans that God has for you if you will learn and change your perspective of how to live in submission, live in obedience to God's word, to, to live sold out for him, to surrender your agenda. If only you would change your perspective. Today, as we continue our series, Into the Wild, I'm picking up where, four, where Moses was living a life, 40 years of luxury. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is the beginning of the Bible. you got Genesis, then Exodus. And up to this point, Moses has lived this life of luxury. He's had it all. He's living a good life. Matter of fact, he's at the point where he's pretty much adopted into this Egyptian palace. And, and he's trained, and he's equipped, and he's possibly next in line to take the throne. But then Moses betrays the Egyptians, and Pharaoh finds out. He's like, you know what? He be Moses betrayed us. I'm going to go kill him. Moses, scared, doesn't know what to do. He flees to the desert. We pick up in Exodus 3, verse 1. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So, yeah, he got married, uh, had two kids, and he has his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. One of the first things I want you to understand is that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. What I mean by that, you got Moses who is literally 40 years of luxury is now living 40 years in a desert as almost a forgotten shepherd. See, shepherds are not something that most people desire to become. No one goes to school. Anybody in here go to UTSA and you get a degree in, in trying to be a, sherp, a sheep he, a herder? Anybody? No. That's not a desired profession. No one's like, I really want to be a, sh a shepherd when I get older. Well, same thing in this culture, but even more so, Joseph in Genesis said this. He said, shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. 
So what he's saying is this, that Moses, living this life of luxury, grew up, grew up in this palace, trained, equipped, possibly take the next in line of the throne, now takes a hard left turn and is in 40 years of desert, has nothing at all, and is doing something, is a part of a profession that's literally an abomination to the culture he was raised in. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. I imagine what Moses must have been feeling like, to have it all to nothing at all. I'm pretty sure in that moment he didn't feel ready. I'm pretty sure he didn't feel equipped. I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't feel like he was the one to lead God's people out of slavery, out of bondage into the promised land because he came from riches to rags. But it's a foreshadow of what our Savior did. Of how Jesus in heaven left all his riches to rags. Why? So that one day he can lead us into a promised land. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. And a lot of times God will use the desert times to prepare you for the plans that he has for you. A lot of times he would use those desert times. Some of us were like, man, I feel like this is a desert time. Well, don't, feel, don't be in despair. Allow this desert time to mold you and shape you for what God has for you. Verse 2 says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Next. God uses something common in an uncommon way to get our attention. God uses something common in an uncommon way to get our attention. Let me explain this. Moses saw a burning bush. Guess what? He's in the desert. It's hot. Burning bush is normal. Like I know a lot of times you're like, whoa, this is something unique. No, no, it was actually normal to be in a desert and to see something burning. It was very common. I'm sure Moses saw many times a bush on fire. But what was different about this one? It was not consumed. Meaning the, the leaves weren't withering. The branches weren't dying. It didn't even look like anything was actually burning. And so God uses something common in an uncommon way so that Moses would go like this. Oh, what is that? So God got his attention. God wants to get your attention. And sometimes he will use stuff that is common to you in an uncommon way to say, hello, wake up. For example, the life of Jesus. Jesus came down from earth to become what? Man, which is common. But he lived a holy and righteous and godly life, which is uncommon. See, Jesus was fully man, but also fully God. Uncommon to get your attention. Jesus' death on the cross, his crucifixion, common. Men, women, we will die. That's the inevitable. It's, it's a common thing that he was going to die. But his resurrection and being raised from the grave three days later was so uncommon because the reality is all other gods are still dead. Uncommon to get our attention. And then even if you want to look at how he decided to evangelize, right, 
to use people like us, ordinary, common, ordinary, common people to make more disciples. Very common thing. But he empowers and baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, which is uncommon of a God living in us and using and being used through us. God wants to get our attention. And when it's in verse 3, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, while the bush does not burn. Verse 4, I love this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. This is really simple, not profound at all, but I think this is interesting. When Moses turned, God spoke. When Moses turned, God spoke. When Moses aligned himself to hear what God was trying to tell him, God spoke. See, it's not a matter if God is able to speak. It's not a matter uh, if God could speak or do something awesome. It's not a matter of that. God could get our attention at any time, any place. He's God. He could do that. Moses in the desert 40 times, he could have got Moses' attention within 40 years. But it was when Moses turned that God spoke. To me, that's symbolic that when we as Christ followers, we would turn and align ourselves into the perfect will of God, then we can commune and know exactly what his perfect will is for our lives. That when we turn and turn our agenda to, to, to be part of his agenda, that, that we can align ourselves to hear the voice of God speak of all the stuff that he's been wanting to tell us for so long. And if we would align our schedules, come on. If we would align our schedules to look like less of what we want and more of what he wants, we align ourselves into his perfect will. But even more so, I, I love that the word repentance we describe as to turn. Turn 180, turn away. And repentance for us is us turning, aligning ourselves with the relationship with our Savior. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. When Moses turned... God spoke, and what did God say? He said, Moses, Moses. He called Moses by his name. Aren't you glad that God knows your name? Aren't you glad even more that, then, that he knows he calls you by your name, which is an indication that every name, every soul, every plan, every purpose, every eternity matters to God. It matters to him. But he even knows your setup. He knows what the things that you have gone through. He knows your desert times. He knows the season that you have, uh, dis uh, have bared through. But he also knows the seasons that he has in store for you. If you would just trust him. Verse 5. Then he said, this is God speaking, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. 
For the place where you stand is holy ground. This is so important for us to know. The presence of God deserves reverence. The presence of God deserves reverence. This is not in my notes, but I kind of have a question. What, when you enter into the presence of God, what kind of reverence do you show him? When you enter into the presence of God, what kind of respect do you show him? See, I think so many times we get caught up in our agenda that we, we miss giving him reverence. And we get so caught up in saying, all right, is it 60 minutes? Is it over? Is service done yet? Or you know what, I need to go get my kids from kids' church. I don't want to wait in that line. Or I got plans later on. I got a lunch date later. Or the parking lot is so packed, I don't want to get stuck in that. And we, unfortunately, when we have our agenda on our mind, we miss giving reverence to the one who deserves it. See, we need to have a reverence, ready, of purity and pace. Purity and pace. What do I mean by this? When God says, take off your sandals, hold on, before you come over here, take off your sandals. Understand that in that culture, the ground is deemed unclean. It's, un, it's a representation of uncleanliness. And so when God says, hey, take off your sandals, what happens is your sandals picks up all this dirt, all this uncleanliness. And he says, hey, when you come into my presence, come in with purity. But also with pace. How many of you guys ever took off your sandals or your shoes and walked barefoot in the wilderness? What happens? You walk pretty slowly, pretty patiently, and you walk lowly, right? You're not walking proudly. And so when God is saying take off your sandals, he's, he's expecting that you walk patiently and not in a rush. Did you hear me? Not in a rush. And that you would, walk, and you would enter into such humility into his presence. Verse 6, moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He had this reverence. He had this fear of God. You want to know something interesting? That statement, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's mentioned 23 times in the Old Testament. Do you know why it's mentioned? Because when God says that, he's saying, hey, I am the God that had those guys. I am the God that guided and was with those guys, your patriarchs. I was a God that moved then, and I am the God that can move now, and I am the God that can move forevermore. I am that same God. Can I tell you something so awesome? God has not lost his power or ability to move in your life. He's not lost it. He is that same God. Exodus 7, or 3, verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up. From the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites 
and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. I don't know if I said all those right. Now now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Hold on. Let's read it like this. Behold, the cry of the children of Helotus has come to me. Behold, the cry of the children of San Antonio has come to me. Behold, the cry of the children of Texas has come to me. Behold, the cry of the children of the United States has come to me. Behold, the cry of the children of this entire world has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. If you're willing to turn, God's ready to move. I love this. God didn't give Moses a new plan. God didn't say, you know what, for 40 years I I set you up, and then you went to 40 years of desert, let me give you something new. No, no, no. God reminded him of the plan that he always had for his life. God reminded him like, hey, I know you've gone through the desert, but I still have that same plan for you. I still have that same plan for you. And Moses, hearing that, is, 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 is got his, God got his attention. Why? So that ultimately that plan will be fulfilled and that God will be glorified. That God will be glorified. See, but I get it though. I get it that some of us are like, no, I have too much. I, I don't feel uh, like I'm adequate enough. I have these insecurities. Chocolate Bear, you said enter into with purity, but I don't feel like I'm pure. And I know we have these insecurities. Guess what Moses did too? Even after God said, hey, I'm going to send you. Moses still said, well, God, who should I say send me? Basically, he's saying, God, even after talking with the holiest of all, even that, he said, God, on whose authority? And guess what God says in verse 14? He says to Moses, I am who I am. It's a reminder from God to take the focus off of yourself, to take the focus off your inadequacies and your insecurities and your fears and put it on the character and nature of God. That he is who he is. See, your inadequacy cannot hinder the performance of God. Your insecurity cannot stop his will. When you're saying, hey, God, I can't do it because of my finances, he's saying, I am who I am. When you're insecure and saying, no, I don't have this, I I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to fulfill your plan, he's saying, I am who who I am. When when you're saying, oh, man, I have all these health issues or I have these problems at work or all these stuff, he's saying, I am who I am. If you would depend and trust on God. (laughs) Depend and trust in God. Because you know who the I am is? It's Jesus. In John 8, John 8, Jesus says this. Before Abraham was, 
I am. Jesus gave an indication of his divinity with God. See, when you're in the minority and you feel like all odds are stacked against you, what you really need to understand is this, that when God is on your side, you're in the majority. No matter who's against you, when God is on your side, you're in the majority. Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Your past does not stop, hinder God's performance. Your past does not handicap what he can do. If you would just depend and trust and lean on the great I am. 